Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and uh, welcome to those who are listening tonight. I'm glad that you have chosen to join Pastor and to join me this evening. And let's spread the word to others who may not be listening. Let me encourage you to call someone message someone, tell them that That's Truth is on on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. They can tune in at 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, or if they would prefer to, they can listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Or if they would prefer Facebook, they can join us on Facebook Live. For those of you that are joining us on Facebook Live, thank you very much for joining us this evening. And before we discuss the topic this evening, Pastor, we have a question that's come in from a listener here in Antigua. And thank you to the individual who called and asked this earlier this afternoon. And this ties back to last week's topic. Pastor, the question is, why is it that the Seventh-day Adventists greet each other saying, Happy Sabbath? Is it the Sabbath they are worshiping or celebrating? I don't know how to answer the question because I was not even aware that the Seventh-day Adventists greet each other in, in that format. Uh, my suspicion, though, is that since the Sabbath is their unique contribution to modern Christianity and they were supposed to restore certain truths that were missing, I think it must be an element of, of both pride and, and maybe the encouraging each other to continue uh, worship on the Sabbath. And it may be their distinguishing mark to... Uh, to, to, to encourage each other in terms of the, 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 uh, the, the Adventist faith. So I suspect it is more uh, a matter of um, rejoicing that they have restored this particular truth. Um, I don't think necessarily it's a matter of um, uh, worshiping Sabbath per se. And this evening we're continuing a series that we've been doing for a little over a month now, I believe, here on That's Truth, along the topics of cults and new religions. And we started with the Jehovah's Witness movement, and then we discussed the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and tonight we're starting to discuss the Mormon religion. A lot of these new religions, Pastor, have put a lot of money into positive marketing for their religion. And the Mormon Church has put a lot of these video clips out, both on uh, television, but especially on the internet. And I have tonight the audio from one of these 90-second video clips. And I'm going to play it. We'll start out with this, and then we're going to jump right in and be discussing the movement in detail. So just listen closely. Mormons. You've probably heard of them. There's like over 15 million Mormons on planet Earth. 
There's a funny Broadway musical about Mormons. No affiliation. Mormons have a world-famous choir. Total affiliation. And those guys on bikes? Definitely Mormons. They also have those big buildings with a shiny gold angel on top. And Mormons always seem to show up to help out when you need it. But here are some things you might not know about Mormons. What do Mormons believe? Whoa, that's a big question. Like, really big. But we're going to try to answer it. Here we go. First off, Mormons believe in God. And Mormons are Christians. So yes, Mormons believe in Jesus Christ. Mormons try to do what Jesus said and live like Jesus lived. Mormons believe that Jesus gave his life, so when we make mistakes, we can seek forgiveness and try harder to be better. And that's why Mormons are so happy. Just look at how happy they are. Let's see what else. Oh yeah, Mormons have the Book of Mormon. Fun fact, this book is why people call them Mormons. But its full name is The Book of Mormon, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. See that? Jesus is right there on the cover. So Mormons study the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Book of Mormon. Okay, we've thrown a lot of Mormon beliefs at you. And you still might be wondering, yeah, but how do I know if this is what Mormons really believe? Well, you could talk to a Mormon. This guy's Mormon. Talk to him. Or her. Or them. They're all Mormon. Chances are, if you ask a Mormon what they believe, they'll be excited to tell you all about it. Or better yet, you could ask God. Yeah, you could pray about all these beliefs. And if you do, Mormons believe you'll get an answer. Because God's there, and He loves you. He loves all of us. And when it comes down to it, that's what Mormons really believe. Sounds pretty good, well put together, and when you just listen to it, you wouldn't be thinking, man, that's a cult, not at all. But tonight, we're going to spend some time discussing in great detail the history of the Mormon Church, and also what they believe, and most importantly, comparing all of that back to Scripture. Pastor Murphy, let's start from the beginning. How did the Mormon Church get its start? Well, the Mormon Church was started by uh, Joseph Smith. I think most people are aware of that. And um, he has a very mystical background in in terms of um, his personality, his character, and what was believed about him at the time. Uh, But virtually uh, at the age 15, he's reputed to have started to search to find out uh, which is the true church and um, what God he should serve. Uh, He indicated uh, in one of his writings that uh, it was during the time of revival that he was um, convicted and felt a lot of guilt, wanted to know how to solve the problem of guilt and how to deal with uh, God. And he went into um, the country at a time of intercessory prayer. And then it is then uh, at the age 15 that he had this vision in connection uh, with God. And he said that uh, God and Christ appeared to him. Basically, God was flesh and bone, Jesus was flesh and bone. And the Lord uh, told him not to join any churches because all the churches were corrupt and that um, all their uh, creeds and doctrines were abomination and that he should uh, wait for further instruction. But uh, really, in truth and fact, he was called to restore the true gospel and the true Christianity, and he would be the the instrument that God would use to bring about this restoration process. That was his first um, encounter, we call a vision, uh, is written in the Pearl of Great Price. And uh, then in 1823, uh, he had another vision, and this occurred with an angel called Moroni. Uh, Moroni was the uh, glorified son of Mormon, who was a departed leader of the American race called the Nephites, who appeared to Smith. 
and told Smith about some golden plates, and he had some special uh, spectacles called Urim and Itamin, and that if he were to get these plates and to put on these um, spectacles, he would be able to uh, interpret what was on these uh, particular uh, golden plates. Uh, these golden plates were supposed to be written in something called um, Egyptian, uh, Reform Egyptian hieroglyphics, and uh, he would be uh, able to um, interpret the the plates, and this is where we get the Book of, of Mormon. Uh, and then in 1827, uh, once again the Lord appeared uh, to him, and then he had an encounter with John the Baptist, who gave him what is called the Aaronic priesthood, and uh, he and uh, a guy called Cowdery was given the Aaronic uh, priesthood, and he was baptized. And then a little, not long after that, again, Peter, James, and John appeared and gave him, endowed him with the authority of the uh, Melchizedek uh, uh, priesthood. Uh, basically, it is out of this um, mythological history uh, that you get out of this, the Book of Mormons, and then some other the, the writings, but this is the core base on which you, you get the, the Mormon doctrine and the Mormon teaching, and it's through this guy, um, Joseph Smith, that the Mormon movement started. Uh, uh, after that, um, he copyrighted the Book of Mormon, having translated it, and uh, this became the standard work of the Mormon faith, uh, and so that's basically uh, the core of how this, this was started. So, so the Mormon church started 1800s, you said, correct? About the 1800s, yeah. Well, he started with him. He was, his first vision was in 1820, and the Book of Mormon was translated in 1830. So basically after the book was translated, uh, he, his two brothers, and Caldry, um formed the Mormon church. And basically, that's how it that started with six of them, basically. By the way, he and Caldry are the ones that uh, ordain each other. Okay. Uh, okay. So, uh, it's a self-start movement, basically. But he, he believed that God had called him to restore true, authentic Christianity because it was lost since the time of the apostles. After the apostles passed off the scene, Christianity became corrupt. And it was only until the 1830 uh, that now uh, God was now calling this guy Smith to restart the, the true gospel and, and start the true Christianity. So it started there, I believe it was in New York in a log cabin, and now there's over 16 million followers or members of the Mormon Church. Are there other names that the Mormon Church goes by, Pastor? Well, there is the uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and then there's the Church of the Reorganization of the Latter-day Saints as well. Those are the two main branches that eventually formed out of the initial. When Joseph Smith died, um, that is where you had this division uh, in these two particular groups. Uh, one went with the Smith family, and the other one uh, went with, um, uh, what was his name? Um, I can't remember the other guy's name, but it'll, it'll come to me very shortly. But those are the two groups that came out of the movement itself. So we have the, the Mormon Church, and in many of these new religions that we're discussing, there's one key influential person 
uh, that if you pulled that influential person out of the religion, the history of the religion, the religion would fall flat. It was Russell for the JWs. Uh, in It was L. and G. White for the Seventh-day Adventist. And for the Mormon Church, it would be... It would be Joseph Smith and uh, Brigham Young. These are okay. the two main characters. Uh, Brigham Young is a guy that basically the majority of Mormons followed after Joseph Smith died. Um, his wife believed that uh, the group should have followed Joseph Smith and his children. Uh, and that group is a group that started in um, Independence, Missouri, uh, because Joseph Smith had said that the Lord would return there. So the Smith family started that group, and that is called the Reorganized, Reorganized um, Church of Jesus Christ. But the major group followed uh, Brigham Young, uh, and um, they went to Salt Lake City in 1847 to form this major group. This is the group that we call today um, the Latter-day Saints. Now, we know that none of us humans are perfect, Pastor, but I think it's important for us to view the life and the character of Joseph Smith under a microscope since he is so crucial to the history of the Mormon Church. Tell me some about what do we know from history about about him? Well, we know f- about him, uh, basically, that he was involved in the occult. He had something called a peeping stone, and he believed he had mystic powers to find out where gold and precious things that were hidden. Uh, he, along with his father, would pursue um, um, the buried treasure, especially they were addicted to Captain Kidd's legendary treasury that was treasure that was was buried. So he was actually engaged in finding hidden treasure using what is called a peepstone. Um, those that, that know him, uh, and when they did a, a, a um, study of the history of the, the family, they always said two things about him. Number one, he always had a tendency to exaggerate. And the second thing is that he had a, a very, he was a stranger to the truth. He had a tendency to prevaricate and uh, and um, had a problem with integrity in terms of his honesty. Uh, besides that, um, as you know, Smith um, was married to one legal wife, but he also had 26 other wives. 26. 26 others. So he had 27 wives altogether. Uh, that in itself just tells you something about the man's character. Uh, but both Smith, his father, for example, also dealt in uh, black magic. His mother was also a very superstitious woman. So it seems as though the entire family is involved in the occult of some form. And if you know anything about occult teaching and occult uh, phenomenon, it's believed that it was transferred from the mom and the father to him. That is why he has these revelations and angels and, and so on and so forth. So um, the family um, are cult- cultic, but also they were a very poor family and seem to have made the money by telling people they can find lost treasure, etc. And Smith was part of that. So it seemed to be one big uh, colossal fraud that was actually foisted on the religious world. If Uh, he was involved in the occult, is it safe to say then that being a false religion that has misled so many souls to hell, is it safe to say that there was evil spirits involved in blinding his eyes and uh, causing him to start this false religion? There's no doubt in my mind when I study the uh, the Mormons that 
you have to believe after you do a study on this that there is such a thing as spiritual darkness, that there are evil infernal spirits that are involved in the whole religious activity, especially during this time. Uh, the things that uh, Smith could say and he got away with is just stunning. I mean, for him to say that God was once a man like we are, and we can become God as he is. In other words, he, his teaching is that God evolved and was a man like we are today, and eventually evolved until he became God. And we one day are down here being tested, and we too would evolve to become gods. So it's astounding that he would, would say that. The other thing is that uh, he gave materiality to, to God the Father. He said that God, if you saw God today, you would see a God of flesh and blood like you are. That goes flesh completely and bone, against what the Bible says. Completely said. contrary to Scripture. The Bible says God is a spirit. Mm-hmm. And Jesus himself said after his resurrection, a spirit hath not flesh and bone. But yet, this is a proclamation that they have made. Well, how he got away with that is just stunning. Uh, and then, of course, uh, this is a world of uh, universe that has many gods that believe in polytheism. Uh, it's not just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These are the gods of the earth. But the other planets uh, that have got gods, etc., etc. So Mormonism really is a religion of polytheism. And it's so contrary to the biblical teaching as far as the Bible is, uh, speaks about the Trinity. When you were talking about the history of the church and Joseph Smith was given a revelation that all the churches had gone apostate. Yeah. Is that biblically true? No, it's not. Not only is it not biblically true, it's not historically true. Okay. Uh, uh, anyone can trace the history of the church as far as the core beliefs of the church. It is true you've had heresies, you've had the Arian heresy, uh, you've had the Apollinarian heresy, uh, you've had the Gnostic heresy. Uh, those are heretical movements that the, uh, that moved away from the core doctrines. But it would be difficult to prove historically that the entire Christian body have of, of, of actually apostatized. Uh, we know that during the Reformation, it was the reclamation of certain truths, uh, like justification by faith. The Catholic Church had moved away to teach the salvation of works, and then God brought back this doctrine of justification by faith. But no church, uh, the church has never completely, totally apostatized. That is not true biblically, it's not true historically as well. And remember that God has always preserved himself what is called a remnant and a witness. So what he is virtually saying, that from the first century until 18, almost 2,000 years, the church was in apostasy. Now, who could ever believe that that is feasible or possible? This is just pure speculation on its part. Uh, but of course, when you claim that you're a prophet and your people accept you as a prophet, there's no limitation to put on, on to restrain you because once they give you that prophetic voice, now how do you restrain that person from exaggerating or going to extremes. It's impossible. Once you open the door to new revelation, you've opened a Pandora's box of deception. And that's what I think happened to the Mormon church. To look at it from a different perspective, if we were to go back in time, and is there any evidence of these unique Mormon doctrines in the first century church? None that we know of, except that, um, you know, Mormonism is a kind of Gnosticism in in the sense that... um, you have certain knowledge that you have in order to uh, 
become more spiritual. So you had to have certain bits of knowledge. Mormonism is like that. They got secret knowledge. For example, uh, when we talk about the 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 uh, praying for the dead and uh, ministering to the dead and baptizing for the dead, when we begin to talk about the idea of having celestial marriages that will seal for eternity. All of this are cultic teachings. This is nothing. This is not new teachings per se. Um, uh, the 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 um, the baptism for the dead. That is not something new. That was part of a cultic doctrine in in uh, the first century world. So there are remnants of occult practices and also remnants of um, deviant doctrines that were involved in cultic practice in the first, the third century that also are part of the Mormon movement. But it took a man like Joseph Smith to be able to pan this off on a gullible uh, generation. Uh, until now, he has pretty much um, cemented his place in history and has created a cultic movement that is now spreading across the world. You mentioned 16, uh, 16, 16 million. million. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, every year they're adding about 200,000 new converts. Yeah. It's stunning uh, what they'll be able to accomplish. It took them 117 years to get to 1 million, and then it has just really spread. Yeah, because, again, you, you know, the commercialization and the marketing of the gospel, you just listen to the introduction to that. I mean, yeah. how attractive that song. Very attractive. But that's the idea of how they've marketed the gospel. The com- commercialization of, 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 of uh, Christianity and religion, period. And I don't have to tell you this. Americans are very, very good at advertising. Mm-hmm. And they have tapped into that resource. And the other thing is, I'm not aware, I'm not, um, I'm not too sure that people who join the movement is really aware of the origins of the movement and what they actually believe. You listen to a Mormon when he comes to your door and you speak to him, you believe he's a Christian. He uses the same language. He talks about Jesus. He talks about God. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about atonement. What you don't understand that his definitions are different so the God that he's talking about is not the same God you're talking about. The okay. Christ, okay, sorry. So while you say that, let's. Yeah. I'm going to pull a couple of quotes. I appreciate you bringing that up, Pastor. In the video, there was the that we started out the program with. There was a quote, and they said, first of all, Mormons believe in God. So do they believe in the same God that you and I believe in? No, Mormons believe in a polytheistic God. As in there's multiple? Multiple gods. Okay. We believe in what is called, uh, we are monotheists. We believe in a trinity where um, there's one God, uh, one nature, one one um, substance, but expressed in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But they're all one. So okay. do they have a limited number, or it's kind of like the Hindus that say there's millions? No, the, the, the Mormons believe that there are three gods that deal with planet Earth. Okay. That the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but there are other gods. And don't forget that uh, you and I are in the process of becoming a god. In other words, every single human being on planet Earth has been placed down here. You were spirit before you came. You're now put in the human body. And just as God evolved from a man to become God by through discipline and obedience, etc., we too will one day become God. So it's not just that they're uh, the Father, the Son, but one of these days, if we got, uh, if there, if there are 16 million Mormons. The potential is for 16 million gods. That's the idea behind Mormonism. Every every single human being has the potential to become a god. See? So it's like a big evolutionary process. Correct. And not only that, the, the thing about it is that when you become a god, you'll be given a goddess. And you and this goddess will be given a planet Earth where you will have spirit children. 
But for your spiritual to become God, they have to be become humans on another planet. So they go through the whole process again. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> Sounds almost like the Muslim <laughs> afterlife. Yeah, I, I, it is. Uh, it is. It is almost comical how we've been able to uh, vulgarize Christianity, yeah. where the the sex aspect of religion. Uh, that used to be paganistic <laughs> has now been normalized within a Christian denomination. It is staggering that we could reach that level uh, of insensitivity. Um, but again, I guess it's the, the modern trend that we are so absorbed with sex. Maybe the appeal of it uh, is bringing the sex part of it and, and, se- and uh, find some attraction there. The next sentence in that video clip said, Mormons are Christians. So yes, Mormons believe in Jesus Christ. Are Mormons Christians, Pastor? There's not a single Mormon who believes what he believes as a Christian. Uh, you cannot believe in the Christ of the Mormons and be a Christian. You cannot believe so in the So they believe in a different Jesus. They believe in a different Jesus. This Jesus, this Jesus is a Jesus that was conceived not by uh, a virgin birth to begotten by the Holy Spirit. This is a Jesus that God the Father became a man, had sex with Mary, and produced this Jesus. That's not the Bible Jesus. Say that again. I repeat. Uh, they uh, teach that God became man, had sexual relationship with Mary, and produced Jesus. It was a physical encounter, a copulation between God and Mary that produced Jesus. So they've, the they've brought God down to the human level. Of course. Okay. But again, that should not surprise us. We go into the book of Romans. Uh, okay. When the Bible talks about that, uh, turning the image of the invisible God like onto man and onto creeping things, this is this is paganism. Uh, I want to say at its best, but at its worst. But this is demeaning God and bringing God, God to the level of of humanity. And uh, to my mind, this is entering the realm of mythology. Uh, this is like the Greek gods, Zeus and all the others, where the gods had sex with uh, goddesses and produced other gods, etc., etc. We are now dealing in the realm, not of biblical truth, we are now dealing in the realm of poor, pure mythology. You said it's paganism. Would you say that it's paganism cloaked in the name of Christianity in order to cause confusion? No, that's the deception about the Mormons. Okay. Uh, they use biblical language. They play what I call repeatedly a semantic game. They use words like God and Christ and atonement and salvation and heaven, etc. But again, unless you can define the terms and understand that they're not dealing with the same God, they're dealing with not dealing with the same Christ, they're not dealing with the same form of atonement, they're not dealing with the same uh, uh, promise of uh, eternal life, you're dealing with something completely different. You're just using the language but injecting new meaning into it. So you can be conversing with a Mormon and he songs just Christian. But again, until you begin to define terms, what do you mean by Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Who do you mean by God? Who is this God? What do you mean by atonement? What do you mean by eternal life? Then you begin to discover that you're dealing with uh, a different brand, but using the same Christian jargon to deceive. Talking about the Mormons and Jesus Christ, in that video clip, they made the statement, Mormons try to do what Jesus said and live like Jesus lived. Mormons believe that Jesus gave his life so when we make mistakes, we can seek forgiveness and try harder to be better. And that's what, why Mormons are so happy. What, what do you, what's your biblical response to that? Well, I suppose that's what they teach in, the, in, the, in the, um, their um, churches. Mm-hmm. But again, if you know Mormon theology. But is that biblical? I mean, would you agree with that from a biblical standpoint or just... Well, well look, uh, after we are 
converted to faith and trust in Jesus Christ uh, to get our forgiveness of sin, uh, Christ becomes our example. And of course, we ought to live uh, as he lives, so are we. And we ought to be set in examples as he set an example. But again, in Mormon theology, uh, Christ's atonement, what Christ's atonement did for you and for me is that Christ's atonement only paid and canceled the debt or the consequence of Adam's sin. In other words, uh, when we talk about salvation for the Mormon, what it means is that every human being will get two things. You'll get resurrection and you'll get immortality. That's what Christ's atonement did. Adam brought death. Christ's atonement canceled death so that every single human being will one day be resurrected and every single one would have immortality. That is their understanding of the atonement. But now, Christ's death has given you a chance that through your efforts and through your works and through your human merits and through obedience to the Latter-day Saints, you now earn your right uh, to eternal life. So they're throwing works in there. So it, it, it's works. It's a, it's a religion of works. We have a WhatsApp question that has come in from the UK. Thank you to the individual who has sent that in. Pastor, what is the name of the Mormon's God? Like I know we were talking about yeah. the fact they have many gods. So do they have different names? Well, or? I know that they confuse uh, Elohim with Jehovah. Uh, they don't understand that it's one and the same persons. In other words, throughout the, the Old Testament, you've got several different names uh, that are used for God, and the, the Mormons don't um, make they don't understand the, that Elohim and Jehovah are the same. It's just that Elohim refers to the. Almighty, the one that creates. Jehovah has to do with God coming to relationships, right? Same, same, uh, same, same person, but again, the name is changed in relation to uh, God's dealing with the individuals. Do I am not believe? aware that they have any any uh, particular God that is named. I'm not too sure what the person was answering. Maybe they could help me. But I, in my in my uh, examination of the evidence and looking into the books and reading other uh, comments and other. Um, uh, summaries about the Mormon faith, I was not given any particular name. Uh, it's just that they 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 have a plurality of gods. Do they believe that. in the Trinity? They don't believe in the Trinity like we believe in the Trinity. Okay. They uh, we said that there's one God, uh, three persons within the Godhead. That's how we said. They believe that there are three distinct gods. That is polytheism. That's not monotheism. See, so they differ. In terms of our understanding of God, they would not believe in the Trinity. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, any idea of God as being invisible, uh, as far as they're concerned, that's totally impossible. You can't have an invisible God. Uh, God has to be a God that is clothed in human flesh. As a matter of fact, when, when man was created, man was created literally in the image of God because God is a man. But God is an exalted man, see? So uh, a different God uh, using the same language, they will still talk about Elohim, still talk about Jehovah. But again, I repeat, the definition of the, that, those terms, unless you understand there's a disparity between what the Christian hold to and what the Mormons has injected the meaning, you believe you're dealing with the same person, the same subject, but you're on two different wavelengths, even though you're using the same language. You're listening to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse from the island of Antigua. 
And we would love for you to interact and ask Pastor Murphy a question, whether it be about the Mormon Church, whether it be about their beliefs, or maybe it's another question someone has recently asked you, and you aren't exactly how exactly sure how to answer it from Scripture, and you'd like Pastor Murphy's input. Give us a call. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Again, if you'd like to call and be put live on the air, you can call 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather not call and be put live on the air, but you still have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to the following number, 1-268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text Two six eight seven eight two one four five four, or if you have joined us on Facebook Live, and you would like to ask Pastor Murphy a question, you can just comment it on the video feed, and it will be passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, what do we know about the movement, the Mormon Church, the Mormon movement today? Well, one of the significant things is that the Mormon Church is uh, growing by by leaps and bounds. Uh, you mentioned its membership. Uh, over 16 million. Um, it has over 30,000 congregations, uh, publishing languages in over 180 different languages. It has currently on the mission field over 65,000. I saw that number. That yeah, really missionaries. Is, yeah. It has 160 temples. Uh, it has 14 training centers and missions works right now in terms of trying to start new works over 407. So it's a, a very, very uh, large organization that, that is growing by leaps and bounds. You said temples. Is that synonymous with the church, or is a temple a, a large church for a big area? How does that no, work? No, a temple is a place that only special functions can occur. Okay. For example, they believe in what is called celestial marriages, uh, where you can be sealed to your partner for life. Now, you will not evolve to be a god in the future unless you have uh, been through this process of um, celestial marriage. So it be kind of a pilgrimage to Mecca kind of idea in that? Well, if you want to be god, oh, which yeah. is the ultimate goal. Remember, the ultimate goal of being a god is that you're going to be given a goddess, and you and your goddess will be on another planet, and uh, you'll be producing spirit children. And populating them. Yeah, and your, those spirit children will go down to become like earthlings. And the same process that you evolved to become God, they have to go through the same process. Uh, that might be attraction to a person who has um, certain vulgar libidinous uh, <laughs> inclinations, right? Uh, I just said it's almost like the Muslims who are, uh, you know, if you create jihad and you get killed, you go to um, paradise and you have what, how many, 16, Seven. 70 versions, something yeah. like that. I mean, it is it is really, really crazy, but this is exactly um, the, the goal and the intention. Uh, besides that, though, I would like to also mention that they also are deeply involved um, in education. Um, it, they have uh, Brigham Young University, which has over 20,000 students. Uh, that's in, in Provo, Utah. They also have a Brigham Young University in Hawaii, which has 2,400 students. And then there's Brigham University in Idaho with 1,500 students. They also have a Latter-day Business School College. It has 1,300 students. They have an Institute of Religion and uh, their seminary. Uh, has over uh, 350,000 uh, um, students worldwide. Very, very large. Um, 
and then of course they've got their their, their temples uh, and and a different training uh, institutions. The other thing that I think is important uh, about the Mormons is that they involve a lot of humanitarian work. It's, it's staggering when you read uh, what they do, but they provide relief and, and de- if, uh, developing countries. They have a lot of projects. Um, they some of their major projects has to do with um, clean water and sanitation. They have community projects, uh, emergency response in case there's a, a major catastrophe. Uh, they also involve in immunization, uh, uh, maternal and newborn care. Uh, they also respond to refugees, uh, vision care, and if you need a wheelchair in particular, they provide that. So they have a lot of um, other um, activities that they're involved in. They have considerable stock in agriculture and industrial America, and um, their missions program is just uh, phenomenal. They encourage uh, every boy uh, age 18, 19. Is it encouraged or is it mandatory? It's not really mandatory. It's okay. uh, to dedicate two years of their life to the mission field. And uh, is that an, an attempt to earn that uh, that level in the afterlife? Yeah, mainly because remember that uh, you are in the process. Once you become a Mormon, uh, you evolve to become a god. But how you do that? In obedience to the Mormons' doctrine and teaching, and part of that is service to the Mormons. But one thing is staggering, but uh, every two weeks, about 70 to 90 uh, young people are off, the, off to the mission field. And uh, that is why uh, every year, approximately, you get 200,000 converts that uh, move into the Mormon church. But it's a phenomenal success rate in terms of the, uh, the amount of missions work that they're doing on the mission field. You're listening to That's Truth. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can call us and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. We are discussing the Mormon Church and the cultic tendencies, or Pastor, you'd go as far as to say that they are clearly a cult? Oh, I have no doubt in my mind. I, I can never classify Mormons as Christians. They're okay, well then listen. outside the pale of our Christianity. Listen to this. So, one of the core, this comes from a document, Six Things You Should Know When Joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in explaining number three, it says, once a month, church members are asked to go without eating or drinking two meals a practice called fasting, and to go give that money, which they would have spent on those meals, to the church to help care for people in need in their congregation. These contributions are called fast offerings. Pastor, that sounds like a great idea, something that actually would be very beneficial in a lot of our churches. So how in the world can you criticize their church? Well, look, uh, we don't judge a church on the basis of its social programs. We judge a church on the basis of its alignment with biblical truth. I mean, not only do Christians do a lot of humanitarian work and take care of the poor, uh, you've got secular governments that do a lot of work in terms of taking care of the poor as well. I think that what they're doing is admirable. As a matter of fact, when I read about it myself, I thought it might be a good practice for some Baptists to put into place that you forego once a month two meals. Help us lose some weight. (laughs) (laughs) And then you take that money and you put it in a fund 
that takes care of the material needs of the indigent and those that, that need help. I think it's a wonderful program. Nothing wrong with that. I wish that Christians would do that. Now, we don't have to pattern that, but we could come up with something else. Right. But they're willing to sacrifice uh, two meals uh, a month. And that money goes into this fund that helps with uh, welfare issues. Um, I commend them for that, and I think it's admirable. But again, that does not absolve us from criticizing because it's not just the social programs we're looking at. We're looking at how they align with biblical truth and biblical doctrine. That's the basis on which we either criticize or we endorse. So it's all based off of Scripture. Yeah. What they have? What What are their views on Scripture, Pastor? Well, their, their their view on Scripture is this. They, they would tell you that they believe, and they would use the King James Version uh, in so long as it's properly interpreted. Right? Okay. But they believe that the— Sounds the, self-serving. Yeah, they believe that the King James Version was perverted as well. Um, so that would be the, the, the thing they would say. But again, in addition to the King James Version, uh, they have other works— they believe that the Book of Mormon, for example, is new revelation, superior revelation to the Book of uh, the King James Version because it's later revelation, it's more current revelation. Uh, and also they've got the, in addition to that, they've got the, the Book of Mormons. They also have Doctrine and Covenants, and they have the Pearl of Great Price. Those are the four main books, the King James Version, the, the, the Book of Mormons, the Pearl of Great Price, and Doctrines and Covenants. These are four books that they believe are inspired uh, by God. And those additional books were written by Joseph Smith? Uh, well, he, he wrote the Book of Mormon, so he okay. translated it. Uh, the one, Doctrines and Covenants, had to do with the, um, the teachings of the apostles and those that uh, that lead, led the church, but what they taught is in, considered to be inspired. So uh, these are these are additional documents that came through either Joseph Smith or uh, Mormon leaders that led the church. Going back to that video clip that we watched or listened to at the beginning of the program, they were talking about the Book of Mormon, and they said the Book of Mormon is has on the front cover another testament of Jesus Christ. And I went to my bookshelf and I pulled off and I have it here in my hand and it does in small letters uh-huh. another testament of Jesus Christ. Here's my question for you pastor, is that biblical to say there's another testament of Jesus Christ after the Old and New Testament? If one takes um the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where the writer is trying to elevate Christ to complete preeminence and superiority. The point that the writer makes in the first chapter is that God spoke in time past unto the fathers in different ways and different, but half in these last days spoke to us in his son. In other words, Jesus Christ is the final revelation. There's no revelation beyond Jesus Christ. So uh, if you're having another revelation, you're adding scripture to scripture, and the Bible is complete. I would challenge any person who's listening to read Genesis and read the book of Revelations and tell me by the time you read those two books, is it not very clear that one is the beginning and one is the end? Uh, and therefore, the Word of God is totally complete. So when you are now saying that you have an additional testimony, an additional covenant, remember the word co- testimony is covenant, you are now saying that God has given further revelation beyond Scripture. And I do not know of any uh, church that believes 
uh, any fundamental orthodox church that believes that there's any additional revelation outside of Scripture. This is a quote coming from the second book of Nephi 29.6. Thou fool, and that's a, a book uh, that the Mormons would hold to, direct quote, thou fool that shall say a Bible. We have got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. Again, you have got the prophet setting up for this second book to come. So it's not surprising that he would inject those kind of words into Nephi because he's going to show you why you need uh, a second book. So the first book, the Bible, is, 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 uh, is, is not um, exhaustive. It's not complete. Uh, saying that you've got a Bible uh, indicating that you don't need another Bible, that you're acting as a fool. In other words, God's revelation was not finished and complete and came to its terminus when the, the, uh, the, the Bible was given. There's no more revelation to come. But how do you do that? You have to get the prophet, you have to get the, the writer in the, in the, in the book of uh, Mormons now showing you what folly it is to claim that the Bible is exclusively the Word of God and there's no further revelation to come. The man is a smart man. There's no question about it. And I be, be, believe behind his mind was a devious, infernal spirit called Satan. And I believe that he was manipulating and putting into the Book of Mormons to facilitate this new book that was coming, which is supposed to be a new revelation. So I'm not surprised that he would inject those words and having the, uh, the right of one of the writers in the Book of Mormon speak that way. What do we know about the Book of Mormon? Well, again, remember that uh, Smith said that uh, Moroni appeared to him and told him about these golden plates. And uh, eventually Moroni showed him where these golden plates were in uh, a mountain uh, uh, in New York. And he got these books, and he also found with these books some spectacles, very large spectacles called Urim and Niturim, and when, uh, Tumim. And when he put them on, he was able to interpret what was written. Remember that his claim that <laughs> this book that he found, these plates, were written in what is called Reform Egyptian. The, the, the thing about it is that there's no archaeologist, there's no linguist any part on planet Earth, either then or now, that knows something called Reform Egyptian. It doesn't exist. It only exists in Joseph Smith's mind. As a matter of fact, he had claimed that uh, Charles Anton, who was um, um, an anthropologist at the University of Columbia, had seen the, the copies of the information. He'd, he'd copied it on a piece of paper and sent it by a guy called Harris to, 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 to Dr. Anton to confirm that it was Reform Egyptian. Uh, Dr. Anthony himself turned around and uh, denied his claim, saying that <laughs> this is pure gibberish. This is this has nothing to do with Egyptian. This is there's no such thing as reform Egyptian. So he was trying to get Anton to endorse, saying that Anton had endorsed the document that there was such a thing as reform um, Egyptian hieroglyphics. But Anton wrote a letter and uh, refuted everything he said. So this is a devious concoction of a perverted mind that is trying to start a new religion, and no question in my mind is a devious spirit behind it called the, the evil one that is trying to bring about a, a new form of religion, and I think that uh, um, Smith is a, um, a welcome party to this, this whole movement to start this new religion. You may be listening to us this evening here on To That's Truth, 
and be thinking Mormonism, is that really that big of a deal? Why are we taking time to discuss it? In 2014, in half of the United States, the different states, 50 states in the U.S., Mormonism was the fastest growing religion. I was really surprised by that. And so, as has been said many times, what happens in the U.S. trickles down to the rest of the world. What happens in Europe uh, trickles down. So Mormonism is growing worldwide, and that's why we're taking time in order to ensure that you understand from a biblical perspective that this is a cult. It is goes contrary to biblical teaching. Yeah. Well, don't forget that Mormonism is a, an American religion. It's one of those religions that started in America. Uh, and don't forget, too, that Mormonism projects the idea of a family church. Uh, when you think of family in America and religion, you normally associate close families and uh, uh, with the Mormon religion. They've exploited yeah. that um, that connection and appeals to people, especially talking about having strong families, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and, and the other thing is that, you know, they, they, um, if you see their uh, missionaries, they're dressed like businessmen. They always got a black, white, etc., well trimmed, uh, uh, presenting this um, mystique of professionalism. And these are young men between eighteen and nineteen that go on. And you know that young generation, uh, young people win young people. Yeah. So it's not surprising that they are winsome in their personality, and this perhaps helps to explain why they're growing at such a phenomenal rate. Pastor, this is a follow-up to the question that came from the UK. Jesus Christ is, the original question is, Mm -hmm. what is the name of the Mormon's God? The follow-up is, Jesus Christ is all in all. He is salvation. Without him, it is a waste of time to live. That's what makes Christian belief strong. Okay, so they are worshiping an unknown God then. Didn't God say that his people would know his name and they would be called by his name? Yeah, but I am not too sure exactly where the person is angling from. The, 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 the point is that there's only salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Uh, but again, there is another gospel, there's another Jesus, there's another God. Um, you talk to the majority of people today, and most of them will tell you that we all worship God but under a different name. Uh, and so everybody's using God talk today. Mm-hmm. But the Bible is very specific about the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. It's very specific with the nature and the character of God. So we have to make sure that when people use the God language and the God talk, that when we are conversing, that we understand that we have the same definitions. And the Mormons have been very, very skilled in using Christian jargon, Christian language, but injecting new meaning into it. And if you're not aware of what they really believe, you think on the, in the same wavelength. So if they do not have the Christ of the Bible, if they do not have the God of the Bible, uh, they have absolutely no hope of salvation. And clearly, they will be damned just like any heathen who does not know the true and living God. This comes from a document put out by the Mormon Church. Some people investigating the Mormon Church lose interest as they learn about all the rules the church has, like not drinking alcohol or not having sex until you're married. God's commandments aren't meant to restrict you from enjoying life. They are meant to help you bring you closer to God and keep you safe and happy to help you avoid unwanted consequences. That sounds good, Pastor. Would you agree with their view of God's commandments? 
Yeah, I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind that um, the commandments of God was designed to put parameters on human excess. In other words, God gave us freedom, but freedom must operate within form. If we have unlimited freedom and there's no form to curtail that freedom, we go beyond the limits. So I do believe that um, the, the, the laws of God and the principles of God and the precepts of God were designed for man's welfare. And if we live within those parameters, I do believe that it's better for us healthy uh, in terms of our, our physical, our spiritual, our moral, our social. So in a sense, there is value in that statement. And um, I would hold substantially the same view that uh, living within the limits that God has set is for our best welfare. But at the same time, uh, that is not to say that we are saved by a system of, of works or a system of human merit, etc. The Bible is very, very clear on that, on that matter. The Mormon Church puts up a facade of very strong families, and you referenced that earlier. Do we have any statistics or any evidence to show that that is the case? Um, I have done some reading on, on this, and as a, uh, a note I had here a moment ago, I'm trying to pick it up. Um, but this is a guy called, um, uh, he wrote the book on the, uh, what was the title of the book? The Godmakers. Um, um, and uh, he gave some f- statistics that are um, surprising. Uh, I'll, come, I'll come back to that because yeah, we actually have a question. caller from Belmont. Uh, Thank you for calling this evening. If you can quickly go ahead with your question for Pastor Murphy. Uh, Pastor Murphy, good night to you and the whole listeners. Good night, sir. All right. Pastor Murphy. Yes, sir. You're going to find out, if you had the Holy Ghost in you, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to find out if I'm speaking from the Spirit of Truth, okay? I'm going to be short, okay? Go ahead. God, God, God is the creator of all the universe and everything that exists, okay? In life, okay? Correct. When, when the, um, the motor car people um, build a motor car, right? They give you what called a manual, right? Yes. And they say you can go get grain with a manual, look at them and get carry a vehicle, right? Correct. So God said you can go grain, I go get grain of the TV word, which is the Holy Bible. Not Bible, Holy Bible. Uh-huh. Word. They go against his laws, his roots, his, um, his will of a man's life, okay? Uh-huh. So I'm going to start. There are going to be always many, many, many different books and many different Bibles and many... The, Bible, the word Bible means books, okay? But the Holy Bible means the Word of God, okay? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So I'm going to be sorry. So all the religion and them who have all the different books and so on are saying, ah, you can get the, the one God to so all the different books. Now, Master, when I get to Pastor Murphy, I believe God has called you to do what you're doing tonight and need to continue to have a bad faith to come home, and I believe, I personally believe. Pastor Murphy, I wouldn't take my phone tonight and call this station. You didn't convince me that you're on the right track, okay? Okay. You're not perfect, and I know that you're on the right track, okay? I used to communicate with a lot of pastors and different radio programs and so on, and no, they're not even close to your explanation of the, the biblical truth. We forget perspective, okay? So I'm going to say, God bless you, continue. And as, as I said before, I'm going to meet you soon. And we'll sit down, and we'll open Bible, and we'll just start more Bible. Because nobody can preach the Bible and jump me to sleep. They will jump themselves to sleep while preaching the Bible to me. Because once you preach with truth, I can keep on listening. And you may jump to sleep. 
I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you very much. Yeah, Appreciate that. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the words of encouragement. We are glad that you are listening and encourage others as you already have said you have. Thank you. But continue to encourage others to listen to the program so that more and more can hear the truth. Pastor Murphy, yeah, go I ahead. I want to get back to the, the Book of Mormon for just a minute. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about that a while ago. Um, there are so many things wrong with the Book of Mormon itself that I am staggered that an intelligent um, audience and people who uh, have access to information uh, could remain so gullible that this is an authentic, inspired book. Uh, let me mention uh, several things that are quite surprising about the, the, the Book of, of, of Mormon. Uh, for example, the archaeological evidence is minuscule. Uh, in the uh, the Book of Mormon, they have made allusion to different cities, at least 32 different cities. Uh, no archaeologist that is of any credit uh, credibility has ever found any of these so-called cities that were built in America. But plain devil's advocate here, sure. isn't that the, what was said about the Hittites uh, maybe 150 years ago? Secular uh, archaeologists mocked those who believed the Bible to be literal mm-hmm. because it talked about this Hittite nation, and then, lo and behold, it was in the last hundred years, I believe, they discovered that this Hittite nation really did exist. Yeah. So could not the same thing be the case? Well, that's pure speculation, but if if it is, I mean, they've actually done... Uh, diggings to find out where these places were. Okay. There's not, in all the places, there's not one scintilla of evidence okay. that any of these cities that they talked about exist in America. The other factor is there are a lot of anachronisms in the... in the. You're going to have to explain that word Well, what me. I mean by that is that they relate to things that are out of time. For example, um, in the Book of Mormons, it talks about iron and steel, uh, no, iron and steel was only came about in the nineteen in the fourteen nineties. So, the, 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 how could you have it? Um, I remember the Book of Mormons is like uh, written between uh, like f- f- uh, forty five BC and uh, uh, four something AD. Okay, so okay. so the Book of Mormons that would be the gold tablets that he tra- that Joseph Smith yes, translated. right, right. Those right. gold tablets were written back then. Yes, yes. But then, what I'm holding in my hand, the Book of Mormon was translated by Joseph Smith in the 1900s. Right, right, right. But the point is, how could the um, or 1800s? Uh, yeah, remember that the civilization that uh, the Book of Mormon is about is two Jewish groups that came across from one came across through Europe to America, one Jewish group. Uh, the other one came across to the Pacific, uh, the two Jewish groups. And remember that these uh, one of these groups um, became the American Indians. Okay. Uh, and again, uh, there's not a single person who's done um, anthropology. No, there's no connection between the American Indians and the Jews. Uh, frenetically, in terms of their features... Or even genetically, in terms of their blood and the DNA, DNA, there's no connection between Semites. As a matter of fact, the American Indians, everybody knows, came across the Bering Strait and are more linked to the Mongoloid people as opposed to Caucasoid, right, or the, the Shemites, basically. So there's no there's no connection there, and um, so um, medically, genetically, 
phonetically. There is no connection between, but that is the claim that is made. The other thing is that the Jews that came across came across in the bars that had glass in it. I mean, the <laughs> glass was not along around. <laughs> so it's, it's it's amazing that they, they 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 talk about silk, they talk about steel, they talk about iron. These are things that only came in the nineteen in the fifteenth fourteenth uh, century. See, so this is these anachronisms mean clearly that these things could not have happened. So it's just pure mytho- not mythological fiction. Uh, in terms of um, uh, this this whole thing, the other thing is that the Smithsonian Institute yeah. has completely denied that there's any connection between the history in the Book of Mormon, as far as America is concerned. There's nothing. There's no connection whatsoever. They themselves consider the Book of Mormon to be a fraud, and then uh, the American uh, Anthology uh, Society, uh, they see no connection whatsoever between the proposed Jews that came over to America and the American Indians. And then, of course, the National Geographic, they too uh, considered the Book of Mormon to be pure, pure mythological fiction. There's no there's no relation between what is in there and what is actually in American history. So that, the archaeology, uh, completely uh, refutes the Book of Mormon, the anachronisms as well refutes the, uh, the Book of Mormon. But then all the plagiarisms, in the book of um, in the book of Mormon. Now remember this. <laughs> this is the humorous thing. Remember that the book of Mormon um, it was written. Uh, this thing occurred in BC. Okay, before Christ occurred. Okay. Okay. Remember that. Yeah. Uh, this civilization existed in America before uh, in BC before. But then they got Christ appearing um, to Mormon and those guys and. Preaching Peter's sermon. Okay. The in Peter the, that lived after yeah, Jesus that Christ. Lived after Christ. So, so before Peter even preached a sermon, Christ is, is preaching Peter's sermon for him to these uh, in the Book of Mormon. I mean, it would take the greatest stretch of imagination. You have to be very, very creative and very, very gullible to believe that what is in the Book of Mormon is actually true. Uh, They've actually taken things from the King James Version. I remember the King James Version was written in 1611. So about about 900 years before the King James Version was written, they already got the King James Version in uh, on the Golden Place that is translated in the Book of Mormon. Like word for word? Yeah, like word for word. But not only that, (laughs) the humorous thing is that they've actually copied errors in the King James Version into the Book of Mormon itself. (laughs) So... When you begin to dig and you begin to study it and you begin to look at it, you begin to, this is the greatest fraud that's ever been per- perpetrated on a gullible uh, generation. Uh, it is pure mythology. And one thing you've got to give uh, J- Joseph Smith, he had a creative genius for deception. And uh, he was able uh, in his day to be so persuasive to move a whole group to create this this new religion that's now spreading in leaps and bounds. It is just staggering uh, when you begin to, to, to think about it. Uh, the other thing I would like to just say is that there have been so many changes when it was first translated. Remember that he was given these Urim and Tumim to be able to translate it precisely. Yeah. But then, after 
the translation, they had to redact it again and again because there were significant errors. They changed names, they changed places. Uh, as a matter of fact, there were over 4,000 changes from the first translation in the Book of Mormon, even though he had this drumming and the tumming to be able to uh, uh, completely translate the, the, uh, the Book of Mormon from these golden plates. To put that in context... I've got the Book of Mormon in front of me, and there's only 500 and some pages in it. So 4,000 corrections, corrections, corrections in a 500-page document. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're listening to That's Truth. There's 25 minutes left in the program. Uh, we are talking about the Mormon uh, religion, and our goal here tonight is not to tear down other religions. It's not to criticize unduly, but it is to hold uh, the source of truth, which is God's Word, up and compare these other religions to the Bible and see how they hold up and whether they hold up because ultimately we know that the only source of truth, the absolute source of truth, of absolute truth, is Scripture. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, there is still time to get it in and we would love for you to do that. You can call one 462 to be put live on the air. Or you can WhatsApp your text, your question to 268-782-1454. Or you can uh, put your question as a comment on Facebook Live, and we will pass that along to Pastor Murphy. Thank you to each of you who are listening to us tonight. And again, be sure to encourage others to tune in and to listen to the program. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 836. Pastor Murphy. I want to add as well that there's a lot of contradictions in the Book of Mormon itself. For example, we know that Christ was born where? Bethlehem. Yeah. They got Christ being born in Jerusalem. Okay. So, they, 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 I mean, you can't have both. He can't be born in Bethlehem and born in Jerusalem at the same time. The city of Jerusalem, he's born in the city of Bethlehem. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that there's contradiction in terms of what really, how you get your sins forgiven. For example, in the third Nephi, uh, uh, 12 and verse 2, remission of sins is a result of baptism. Okay? However, um, in the uh, 20th section, verse 3, baptism is administered after sins are remitted. So which comes first? Uh, you get baptized after sins are remitted, or you get uh, baptism to get your sins remitted? They're contradictory uh, uh, texts. The, the other thing that is important is that um, there are false prophecies uh, that are given. For example, uh, in the uh, other book that they use, the Doctrine and Covenants, talking about the Civil War, uh, they said that England would get involved in the American Civil War. Never got involved in the Civil War. They said that all nations would get involved in the war as well. It became a, a global war. It never became a global war. They also said that slaves would rise up against their masters. It never happened. I mean, these are things that were... Pro I remember that doctrines and um, covenants are one of the four books that are inspired, that are considered to be revelation, considered to be uh, divine books. But yet you've got this, uh, this, this, this prophecy that, that never came to pass, these prophecies. So there's contradiction there, and there's also uh, the fact that uh, you've got false prophet prophecies that are made uh, even within those books that are supposed to be sacred to, to the, uh, the Mormons. Do I recall correctly, Pastor, that uh, 
the in the original copies of these books, there was some very racist uh, statements that were made that have since then been redacted in order to allow people of African descent to join the Mormon Church. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I'll try and deal with that when we talk about the priesthood. Okay, but the priesthood was limited uh, to Caucasians, and it's and it's only in recent times, by the way. When I say recent times, but within my lifetime that now they have been opened so that blacks can become part of the priesthood, but it was limited. The other thing that has a racial tone to it is that the American Indians were made dark-skinned because they were cursed as a result of fighting against the Nephites. They destroyed the Nephites, and God cursed them, so they became dark-skinned. So there is, to my mind, reading that account, there's this racial element that was, but again, this was American back in the 1830s. This is not surprising mm-hmm. uh, that you would have this racial element in it. There is something else I wanted to uh, to mention about the the Mormons that I think is very significant, uh, which has to do with the fact why they're growing so significantly. Um, has to do. Uh, don't forget the Mormon choir. Yeah, uh, the tabernacle. Most of the tab- Mormon tabernacle. I mean, they've got over 320 singers. I've got over 100, uh, 900 anthems. And I mean, this is a global uh, phenomenon. I mean, everybody basically that um, that listens to any kind of classical, semi-classical music, mm-hmm. uh, high-class music, really, that's the Mormon choir. And, and I think that's well-known. All They go all over the world to sing, yeah. basically. Uh, the other thing is that the, there's a disproportion of Mormons in who is who in America of any other religious denomination even the, higher than the Catholics? Yeah. The Mormons have a higher level of who of who in America within the that American category and within the scientific community as well uh, that win um, prizes. The Mormons excel in that area. So I think that, and then the other thing, within the government of America, there are a lot of Mormons within the government that hold key positions in the American government. So they've had tremendous... You remember we thought Romney when he ran for president? Yeah. Remember yeah. that he's a, uh, a, a real solid Mormon. Yeah. But there are lots of other Mormons within the American government that hold key positions. So that is why their influence is so pervasive, not only in the academic community, but in the music community, oh, the other thing is they involve a lot in sports, a lot of dances, the sponsored dances for young people. Uh, that is part of the great appeal uh, uh, for the Mormons. So there are a lot of activities outside the actual um, Christian work, or what you call spiritual work, that they're engaged in that seem to, to garner the interests of the different um, sectors, especially uh, the youth. Going back to a question I asked earlier, were you able to find the, uh, any information? You were trying to find some statistics about whether the the Mormon Church and the families within the Mormon Church are really as happy and as unified and strong as they appear to be. All right, I'm going to have to uh, give you that information the next time, I promise you. But okay. I, I have it. But um, it's Ed Decker that wrote the book, The Godmakers. He has given some uh, Staggering statistics that is the very opposite of how the Mormons are envisaged uh, in in connection with the divorce rate. That in terms of the divorce rate, the young divorce rate, it is far higher than national level in America. That that, that staggered me. The other thing is that the um, the um, child death 
is above the national rate in America as well for within the uh, Utah community. And why, why is Utah so important? Well, because that's where Mormonism is. Basically, that's the center of Mormonism in, in Utah, okay. right? That's where uh, you got the, the... As a matter of fact, uh, it, Utah is a Mormon country, basically. <laughs> uh, so, it, But the statistics are staggering because when I read them, I was taken aback. I was wondering where he was getting those statistics from because you always get the impression that the the Mormon church is a family-oriented church and there's little immorality and there's little breakdown in divorce, but that's not the case. And uh, next time we'll share that uh, with the audience. Oh, the some of the other things that they get involved in is a lot of um, dramatic festivals, like festivals. And, of course, young people gravitate to these kind of activities um, sports, uh, hobbies, music, uh, a lot of homemaking courses. And, of course, young people planning for marriage. That's right up their trail. Uh, this might help to explain why the Mormon church is going to tap into that youth, youthfulness, that youngness, and using the young missionaries, young fellows, 18, 19, young girls, 21, they're connecting. So it's not surprising that the church is going at such a phenomenal level. Most of us are dependent on uh, elderly to do missionary work, but they do a lot of young people. Yeah, We have a caller. Pastor, go ahead with your question quickly, please. Yeah. Pastor Mavis. Yes, sir. According to the scriptures, right? I'm Who's listening. the prince of this world? Who run the... Um Who's the prince of the world? Well, Jesus said that the, uh, the prince of darkness is Satan. He's the one that... Right. Yeah. And you remember what he told Jesus and the, um, the temptation that if you bow to him... You're giving all the kings of the world. The world like the political, there's a political system, right? Yeah. The Pastor Murphy, the truth is, we pledge that perish, right? Pledge the pleasure who aside somebody's hand, okay? Repeat. And that's the cause of the matter. No matter how no matter how good a man they preach, right? Uh-huh. And how great he be and educated be and he tells any be. I repent, I perish with the gospel, okay? Yeah. And I know, I know, you're on the right job. Mm-hmm. We'll talk. Well, appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for the call and for the question. Uh, Pastor Murphy, you were talking about uh, the Mormon church in Utah. Did you have anything else before we go on to the next topic? Uh, I unless you have a question that uh, we haven't covered, you just go ahead and ask it. And I, I was to respond to it. I was curious to hear about the organizational structure of the church. Is there like is it ruled by a president or is it ruled by a panel of prophets or how does that work? Well, the um, most important group within the Mormon Church is what is called the headed by the twelve apostles. Um, the senior apostle, the most senior apostle, is the president of the church, and he has two other apostles that becomes his counselor, and they form what is called the first presidency. This is the uh, most important part uh, in terms of leadership as far as the church is concerned, and this is the governing part of the church, the, the first presidency. This is made up of the most important senior apostle plus two others, who become his counselors and this form the first presidency. Uh, they've also got something called the Quorum of Twelve. Uh, this would be the first president along with the other nine apostles. Uh, this is the second tier within the Mormon movement. This is highest, second highest uh, governing body of the church. And then 
they have something called the 70s. Uh, you know, Jesus Storm sent out the sent out seventy. Yeah. Well, they also got that, and uh, they got about eight quorums of seventies within the 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 the, the, uh, the Mormon Church, and they serve in various locations throughout the world. This this seventy group, um, they help also help with the administrative work at the headquarters, and um, they work in different geographical areas. So you've got the first presidency. You've got the quorum of the 12, then you've got the 70. In terms of the local congregation now, a local congregation is called a ward, and okay. um, the leader is called a bishop, and uh, he is the administrative head for the parish, wherever that is. When you get a number of wards, or what we call a number of local churches, you form a stake, which is called a group of, of wards, and you have a stake president who's a leader of that stake group. It's like... Uh, we would be a ward at our church, but within the Baptist circle, that would be a stake. And then you have a president of that group. Uh, both the bishop of the local assembly and the one who is this, uh, the state this, uh, stake president, these are on salaried positions. They don't pay the pastor. They don't pay these these different people. It's almost like the the Jehovah's Witness okay. uh, that don't don't pay. Um, so they would be working a full time job somewhere. Yeah, they'd be working full-time jobs somewhere. Um, the bishop serves for five years, and the stake president serves for nine years. Uh, most of the duties within the Mormon church is carried out by the lay people, the members, basically, because you don't have full-time employed pastors or stake presidents. And then uh, you have other support organizations within the local uh, assembly. You have something called a relief society. This is made up of women who are 18 years and over, and their purpose is to provide spiritual and temporal help for people in need. As a matter of fact, I'm told that this Relief Society, collectively, is the largest women organization in the world, made up of all these 18-year-old people, 18 years and older, and they're concerned about welfare, poverty relief, adoption services. Sometimes they even give loans and grants uh, to women to help them, and also they make things and sell things. So... You've got the first presidency. You've got the uh, the twelve apostles called the quorum. You've got the seventy. You've got the bishop. You've got the president at stake, and then you've got the auxiliary groups like the Relief Society, where you bring the women involved. Uh, that substantially is is how the church is structured, how it's organized. But again, when we dealt with the Seventh Adventists, we saw how how they were so well organized and so poor. Same thing basically with the. Um, the Mormon Church is very well organized, but notice that they do a lot of extensive use of the lay people within the church. So a lot of the responsibility is taken over by people within the church that are actively involved because these are not salaried positions. Pastor, is the Mormon Church a Christian denomination? I know Christian means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but from a biblical perspective, is the Mormon Church a Christian denomination? Having examined the evidence and the facts and having uh, understood the doctrines that we will deal with in the next session, uh, it is very, very clear to me that the Mormons cannot be classified as a Christian denomination. The Mormon is a cultic group, and they are 
uh, completely aberrant and deviant in terms of biblical doctrine. The Mormon God is not the, the Christian God. The Mormon Christ is not the Christian Christ. The Mormon Bible is not the Christian Bible. And the Mormon's doctrine is not the Christian doctrine. So there's no way, and by no standard, can the Mormons be considered to be Christian. What You mentioned that they reinterpreted the King James Bible, uh, or they believe it as long as it is applicable. Uh, did they reinterpret it, or who did that? How well, did that well, come about? Uh, Joseph Smith okay. did a translation of the King James Version. It's did called the Inspired King James Version. Okay. Did he have Greek and Hebrew training? Like most of these cultist groups that started back in the 1800s, they were started by lay people without any knowledge of the Greek or the Hebrew. And this has led to so much error uh, being foisted on the the general public. Uh, One of the, uh, I don't want to use the word um, funny because that's not pleasant, one of the painful things about the translation, Smith translation of the Bible, is the way he has taken the Bible and twisted the Bible and retranslated the Bible. For example, um, in Genesis 3, 1 to 5, he has it in that section in in the Smith-inspired version, the story of Satan coming before God and offering to be sent into the world to redeem mankind. Satan, Satan, yeah, because Satan in the Mormon's book is Jesus's brother. Wow. He's a spirit brother of Jesus. I don't know if you, you oh, we'll come to that. So Jesus wouldn't be the only son of God. No, because God has spirit sons. Wow. Uh, God has God the Father, uh, and there's also God the Mother, and these gods have been having sex and producing these spirit children. But for these children to become God, they have to go through the process of becoming man and evolve and become God again. So that is why I say to you, this is, this is heresy of the deepest day. And how any thoughtful and person knowledge of the Bible could embrace this kind of teaching is just uh, incredible that anyone could embrace such uh, false dogma. We have a text message that's just come in from Antigua along these lines. Pastor, which Bible was used before the King James Version and the people like Ellen G. White, Joseph Smith, Elijah, Muamis, etc., all used to present an airtight case? So how do we know who is speaking the truth? Repeat that question again. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I'm so getting the truth reading of Reading it, it as it comes across. Sure. Which Bible was used before the King James Version? And people like Ellen G. White, Smith, and Elijah, etc., all seem to present an airtight case. So how do you know who is speaking the truth? I disagree with his statement there that they present an airtight case because Ellen G. White, um, the Mormons, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, there's nobody that knows the Bible and uh, have what they wrote and what they teach could see that they, they taught something in harmony with Scripture. Um, even the closest to the group there would be Ellen G. White. But look at uh, what she thought is, is, I mean, where is their investigative judgment in the Bible? It doesn't exist. It exists only in the mind of Ellen G. White and uh, Hiram who, who had this vision, but it's not there. Uh, where is any of the teaching that uh, we get in the Mormons found in the Bible? It is not there. So it's actually the perversion and the distortion of biblical truth. There's nothing wrong with the King James Version. 
uh, it's a, a good translation. So we're not saying that there's anything wrong with the King James Version. If you think that's what I'm saying, you missed the whole point. Um, I use the King James Version. I will only use the King James Version because it's the standard version that's accepted. But the truth of the matter is, if you're going to start a new doctrine, a new teaching, a new theology, a new movement, uh, uh, you have to understand the Greek and the Hebrew because behind the translation are these fundamental uh, books. And some of the words, as you know, it, no, there's no translation that can precisely convey every thought that's intended in the original. Uh, and that's a given. That's why pastors are called to examine the scriptures and to uh, explain the scriptures. The beginning of that question was which Bible was used before the King James? To my Version? knowledge, the Bible of York was American for a hundred years before the King James was the Geneva Bible. That was the that was the Bible that was used, Geneva Bible. Uh, Pastor Murphy, we have a caller on the air. Uh, Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question quickly, please. Yeah, um, Pastor Murphy, and to you and the listeners, right? Yes, sir. If God so loved the world, right, would he be, um, um, have a book or a Bible or a word for people who love him and he free love to understand? Yeah. So all these different religions and books and Bibles and so on, what are they doing? Do they understand if God so loved the world? Don't they believe? All the doubters them, all the doubters. Don't they believe that you have a book to show how to get here and how to get blessed, son? Yeah. The King James authorized version of the scriptures is not authorized by King James to say he wrote it. Mm-hmm. He, he gave the authority and it's the word of God because with God all things are possible. Yeah. Mark 10, 27, with God all things are possible. Yeah. So if God loves everybody, he will love everybody and bless everybody who come unto him. So all these religions should know that. There's one God and one truth. All the different doctrines and so on is, I mean, here we see. Here we see, I say, I say, call my name now, Minnie and Western, are doing my God to the message the truth, and nobody can fool me with the truth, okay? God bless you all. Amen. Let, let me just have a comment quickly to the um, the, the uh, caller. Yeah, let me hear you. No, wh- what I would about to say is that God is a God that gave language and communication. It's only natural that a holy God, uh, because of human sin, would want to communicate with man. He gave man that capacity. So clearly God has given us his word so that we can have an understanding of who he is. Because God is so holy, we cannot approach God directly. So God has found a way of communicating with us. So I um I endorse what you're saying. Yeah, but, but God, you see, you see, you've got that everybody, right? And with that art is possible. Mm-hmm. When, you see, you see, you see, a lot of people don't understand. The key scripture is with God art is possible. So if no matter how done to be a can read a can write, God is so capable of causing the you or anybody understand him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what they're getting away from. Yeah. They're talking about if you can't read or write, you don't know the truth. No! Mm-hmm. God shall come to any level and anybody understanding and reveal himself. God bless you all. Good night. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Have a good night. Pastor, yeah. go, go no, ahead. What I was, was about to say as well, Nathan, is that the ultimate battle today is the Word of God. Uh, that is going to be the whale war that we are waging. It's a truth war. And... Uh, it's not surprising that you'll find all these distortions because you've got an enemy of the truth. God said in the book of Genesis, you will surely die. The enemy came and he gave the very opposite. Did God say that? 
And then he contradicted, you will not surely die. The same language God used, but he twisted and turned around. This battle started in Genesis, and the battle continues throughout the ages. And as we move towards the end time, the real battle that has to be settled is the Bible, the Word of God, or not. This is where the final battle is going to be fought. And um, we have to hold to Scripture because Jesus Christ himself um, believed that the entire Old Testament, even those areas that uh, are, are people find difficult, for example, the the Jonah being swollen by the whale, the flood. He endorsed all of those major areas today that are being contradicted and denied. But if Jesus is the Son of God and God himself, and he endorsed the scripture, how dare we go contrary to him? So we got to hold to the truth. And uh, so this battle is going to continue. And we must, as God's people, uh, trust scripture, believe in scripture, follow the scriptures, and obey God. So you're saying that Satan's tactics are in many ways the same he's uh, attacking God's word and you remember what Paul says we're not ignorant of the devices the same strategy he used back then is the same strategy he used today even in New Age when we come to deal with that you should be like gods you have knowledge a man today in the New Age movement is going to move in the area of knowledge and God so that's correct Thank you for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. We've really enjoyed your interaction. We will continue next week. We'll pick up where we left off discussing the beliefs of the Mormon cult, the Mormon church, and comparing them to scripture. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.